Thanks for listening to the teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church in Mullica Hill, New Jersey. We trust today's message will challenge you and move you closer to Christ. Here's pastor, teacher, and author, Phil Moser. We believe that each part of the word, every word, every jot, every tittle is inspired by God. Will you stand with me as we read through a portion of Daniel chapter 7 this morning out of respect for God's word? I'll begin reading at verse 23. And thus he said, as for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on the earth, which shall be different from all the other kingdoms. And it shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it to pieces. As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom ten kings shall arise, and another shall arise after them, and he shall be different from the former ones and shall put down the three kings. And he shall speak words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and shall think to change the times and the law, and they shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. But the court shall sit in judgment, and his dominion shall be taken away, to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. And here is the end of the matters for me, Daniel. My thoughts greatly alarmed me, and my color changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. You may be seated. We are talking, even as I'm reading that, I'm thinking, for many of you, you might say, I have no idea, Pastor Phil, what you just read, okay? And so one of the things you want to understand is that when it comes to prophecy, these are pictures, these are metaphors. And every time you have that, there is always the potential that it can be misunderstood. And so I'm just going to say, starting off this discussion, that the interpretive things that we talk about today, um, I believe I understand them, but I would also understand that there's others who would believe that these, some of these interpretations are different. The one thing that we all agree upon is this, all right? Wherever your theological background, the kingdoms of men will not endure, but the kingdom of God will last forever, okay? So even as I talk through and start to unpack some of this and kind of give you, as it were, the cast of characters, I want you to understand that the most important thing you can remember is not that you get every detail right, but that when you read through Daniel, you're understanding that these kingdoms of men, they will not endure, but the kingdom of God will last forever. What we see happening in other parts of the world, we think, wow, this is terrible, and it is terrible. But these kings who make decisions, these dictators who make decisions, they do not endure. Only the kingdom of God will last forever. Now, by way of reminder, just kind of a bit of a run, last week we talked through the opening verses of Daniel chapter 7, and when we did that, Daniel had a vision, and that vision included four beasts that came up out of the sea. Remember, the sea there is describing the, the, the world in which we live. You say, well, why didn't God just say the world? Well, because the world feels stable under our feet today, right? But the sea does not. And so what he wanted us to understand was this picture of the sea surging and moving and and waves crashing. That's the world in which we live, that that these kingdoms are going to rise and fall, rise and fall, rise and fall, just like the ocean does. And he gave us four word pictures, and here they are real quickly again. The first word picture was a lion with wings in the beginning of Daniel chapter 7. And it was pretty clear from the text that that describes the Babylonian Empire, 
the empire in which Daniel presently as a prophet was residing. The second word picture was the picture of a bear with three ribs in his mouth raised up slightly on one side as if he was attacking. Um, He was devouring various nations. That word picture we talked about would be the media Persian Empire from 539 to 331 BC. And literally, just you can see how it swept through Babylon and went off to the east there. The third image was the image of a leopard with four heads and four wings. I told you the pictures are, are frightening when you think about what Daniel must have seen in living color in his vision. Four heads, um, the, the accelerated speed of a leopard spoke of how quickly the Greek empire would take over the previous empires. Not only that, the four heads spoke of the four kings, and the four wings spoke of the four kings that took control after Alexander took control. Now, what's important about this is to note that this empire goes from 331 to 168 BC, roughly a couple hundred years after Daniel prophesies. So here's what I want you to remember. These things come true really accurately. Why does the leopard have four heads? Because they're before leaders that lead after Alexander leads that divide up the Greek, Greek empire. These pictures are prophecies. They take place prior to the event. They not, they're not written post-history. They're not written after the event, which reminds us that God's in control of these events the kings or the leaders or the dictators that we see and are frightened of, they're not. And then there was this final beast, this final beast that came up out of the sea. Um, he, Daniel calls it a beast that he couldn't quite explain. So the artist's conception here is just the artist's image, but it, it's an idea that, that there was this monstrous beast that came up out, finally out of the sea with uh, claws of bronze and, and, and strength and, and a ferociousness and teeth of iron. And this particular individual, we said, was the Roman Empire. Now, I've got to push pause there because it's easy to see Rome in all of their military attacks taking over um, between 168 and 476 AD. But you want to understand as well that it would appear, because some of these events hadn't taken place back then, that there is a renewed Roman Empire. There's a new way that this beast, this kingdom, comes up. Okay, so just push pause there for a second. Now, let me talk with you. You say, okay, Phil, um, I'm semi-confused, totally confused. Let me just step back and give you the big picture again, okay? Here's the big picture. There's three ways we find hope through prophecy, and here they are. You keep your eyes on the end game, okay? You keep your eyes on the end game. Now, I know some of you think end game is just the movie, okay? It's not just the movie. The word end game literally is the final moves that take place on a chessboard, okay? And, and that's where the victory's won, right? If you've ever played chess or bridge, this is how that term was initially used. It's your last few moves that win the game. And, and, and so you may have felt, like if you've ever played that, the great disappointment when your queen was taken, for instance, in a chess game, and you thought, oh, no, there's no way I'm going to win. But you're not to the end game yet, see? And, and what you want to understand is that when we begin to read this prophetic account, the, the thing that is so clear in Daniel chapter 7 is this is about the end game, okay? This is about the last final moves. And so when you begin to think that way, you can realize it's going to go up and down, up and down, up and down, and that's the world in which we live, okay? Here's the second thing we find hope through prophecy. We know that humanity will temporarily suffer. You say, well, that doesn't sound like very much hope, okay? Focus on the word temporarily, 
we know when we read this account that there is still more suffering to come. There's still challenges and difficulties and, and images of babushkas crying in Ukraine that will still come out, right? We know that there's still more suffering, and you're going to see that in the account. And finally, um, the final element that we get hope and prophecy from is that we can be assured that God will not lose control. What you really begin to gain a grasp for when you're reading through Daniel chapter 7 is that, in, that God has not lost control. This isn't a maybe we'll win, maybe we won't thing. This is we can be assured that the Lord is in control for his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Now, with that in mind, let me introduce you to the cast of characters that we're about to discover. Okay, so here's the first one. Uh, the Son of Man. The Son of Man, you find that over in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a Son of Man, and he came to the Ancient of Days. So when you read the term Son of Man, you just got to know that's Jesus. We know that's Jesus because last week we talked about the fact that in Matthew 26, Jesus claims this passage as his own. This is what ends up with the, uh, with the Sanhedrin saying, okay, he's blasphemed, we're going to crucify him, because Jesus says... Um, you will see me as the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven. And immediately Caiaphas, the high priest, says, whoa, whoa, he just claimed to be God. That's what's going on here, okay? The Son of Man, when you see it here, is listed as Jesus. That's important because for him, this dominion, this kingdom is going to come. Now, the saints is something else that we find in this text. And it seems a little odd, honestly, because you may have thought of saints as a New Testament term, right? That it's, that it's uh, saints. But here we find it in the Old Testament as well. And I find it down in verse 18, but the saints are the most high. I find it a little later in verse 21, as I look, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed against them. I find it up in verse 22, and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High, and later when the saints possessed the kingdom, and down in verse 25, and he shall wear, that is this, um, this the, the Antichrist shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and then again down in verse 27, shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. So when we think in the terms of the word saints, what you want to know is that that word in, in your Old Testament is just a word that we understand as holy. It's to be set apart in some way. Um, sometimes we get that confused because depending on where, what religious background you grew up in, you may have thought to become a saint, you had to be a follower of God and then have a miracle associated with something you've done and eventually the church decides you're a saint. That's not the way that the Bible describes it. Okay? The Bible in the New Testament particularly says if you have become a believer in Jesus Christ, then you are a saint. Right? But the word saint literally means to be a holy or set apart one. It means you were cleaned up for some form of service. Okay. Years ago, we, Kim and I just met with this couple after I don't know how many years of them being married, but when they were dating, um, he was from America, she was from Germany, and uh, we had them over, and, and my American friend would sometimes pull pranks on his German who would later become his fiancée and his wife, he would pull pranks on her because she didn't quite fully understand the language. Okay. So realizing that, when they came over for dinner, we had this big yellow Labrador, and, uh, and, and Kim made this wonderful dinner, and dinner was over, and, um, and I, uh, Petra's sitting there, and Matt's sitting there, and I pick up the plates, and I put the, the empty plates, and I put them down on the floor, okay, and our Labrador comes over and licks them all off. 
And I look at Petra and I say, who, whose English is a little broken back then, it's very good now, but back then, I look at Petra and I say, he gets those really clean, doesn't he? And she says, yeah, as a matter of fact, he does, you know, yeah, yeah. And I picked up the plate, stacked him up and walked over to the cupboard and I said, that's why we don't even use the dishwasher and I put him back in the <laughs> cupboard, okay? And at this point, Kim says to me, can I see you in the back room for a moment, please, all right? Okay, so that's how that went down, okay? The point is, most of us would be uncomfortable with, being, with, our, with our cutlery being cleaned up in that way. I know some of you wouldn't, okay? But some of you would, right? Like, you wouldn't think that's a set-apart dish. That's what I want you to see. These images of vessels in the Old Testament that are holy were cleaned for a purpose. This is your word for saints, okay? You and I were cleaned up for a purpose, these are followers of the Most High. We note in this text that they suffer first and lead later, okay? They will go through a time of being worn out by the Antichrist. Here's the fourth beast. The fourth beast speaks of future destructive kingdoms. Got to stop there and say, when you get to the book of Revelation, the word beast is used to describe there the Antichrist. But here, that's what the horn is describing. Here, the beast describes these future destructive kingdoms. Literally, the beast, remember, has ten horns that are coming up out of his head. And, and so, these are destructive kingdoms. And, and by, by the way, every, some call that the revived Roman Empire. It's not so important what you call it as you know this, that these are destructive. And they are, you'll see in a moment, our human leaders' attempts to try to control. Okay. So that's the fourth beast. The horn listed here, which we're going to see in our text, is a human ruler under Satan's control. Sometimes uh, we have referred to that individual as the Antichrist. The book of Revelation refers to him as the beast there. But this is a human ruler under Satan's control. Even Jerome in 400 um, AD, uh, early church father, said, listen, this is a human being who is totally controlled by Satan. Right. Now, what makes it a little tricky is he doesn't come in broadcasting that. He doesn't come in saying, oh, oh, by the way, in the biblical record, he doesn't show up saying, by the way, I am under Satan's influence. Okay? Instead, he's deceptive, and that shouldn't surprise us, because Jesus himself says of Satan that he is the father of lies. In other words, deception is his means of operation. And finally, you're going to notice the phrase most high, and that's just this wonderful reminder that God is over all, right? God is over all. In fact, I find this throughout this passage, uh, Daniel chapter 7, verse 18, but the saints of the Most High, down in verse 20, um, in, um, up in verse 22, the ancient of days and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High. And then down a little later in verse 25, he shall speak words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and shall be given to the people of the saints, verse 27, of the Most High. It's a wonderful term describing God as being over all. He is above everything. Okay, now, let's go back and take these three aspects of hope, okay? Keep your eyes on the end game, okay? Keep your eyes on the end game. Now that you know the cast of characters, let's just kind of walk through the passage. Keep your eyes on the end game. Here's the first thing you want to understand. The kingdoms of men will fade away, okay? The kingdoms of men will fade away. It looks like evil is winning now in our world, doesn't it? It looks like it is even pretty unrestrained that, that a person, um, that, that, a, that a Russian dictator can, can advance on a country that isn't even his and claim it's his and then just go in there and try to take it. It looks like evil is unrestrained. I just want to remind you this. The kingdoms of men will fade away. I can remember when, uh, when I was in Ukraine, my friend Greg 
um, he was, uh, we were driving to some place, some, to some location there, and he said, see that place, Phil, see that place? He said, I said, yeah, he said, it's pretty nice for Ukraine. It's kind of like a, kind of like a garden area with a really nice house and everything. He said, um, that used to be, I can't remember which dictator it was now, but he said, that used to be one of the atheist Russians dictator's summer's home. Summer home. He's the one who said, there is no God. Okay. Follow us because there is no God. He said, um, that's what it used to be. It used to be a summer home in Ukraine. He said, you know what it is now? I said, no, what's it now? He said, it's a church. The people who meet there now in that summer home, there's a church meeting there, okay? I just want to remind you, the kingdoms of men will fade away. And we find that again in Daniel chapter 7, verse 12. This is the end game, right? And as I look, the beast was killed. That is this Roman Empire, this revived Roman Empire, this idea that there's this kingdom that's destructive. And as the rest of the beast, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. In other words, these kingdoms look like they're going to last forever. They do not. And here's the point. The kingdoms of men will fade away. Here's the second idea, end game issue. A righteous God will bring perfect judgment. A righteous God will bring perfect judgment. I understand there are things in this world that are horrendously, from our perspective, wrong and inconsistent. And if you're kind of a, it's either right or wrong person, okay, then these things bother you immensely. I just want to remind you, the day is coming when a righteous God will bring perfect judgment. It may not be the way we see it now, but that day's coming. And I'll show you that over in Daniel chapter 7. Look at with me at, um, down about verse 10. The Ancient of Days took his seat, verse 9, a stream of fire issued out from before him. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand uh, stood before him. Last week we talked about that's a hundred million angels, okay? The court sat in judgment. The books were opened. Okay. This is a court that's passing a judgment. In other words, this is a righteous God that is bringing about a perfect judgment. And if you jump ahead to Daniel chapter 7, verse 26, just look on the opposite side. When it talks about this, um, the Antichrist, when it talks about this world leader who is intentionally damning pe uh, damaging people, look at verse 26. But the court shall sit in judgment and his dominion shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end. This is a great hope. A righteous God will bring about perfect judgment. This is the end game. Okay? And then there's final, one final thought for you. Here it is. It's found in Daniel, but it's also found in the book of Revelation. Um, Jesus Christ will reign forever and ever. This is the end game. Okay? Jesus Christ, the perfect king, the perfect prince of peace, will reign forever and ever. In fact, in your Bibles, just look with me at Daniel chapter 7, verse 14. And to him, that is whom the Son of Man, listed up in verse 13, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, and that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Okay, this is the great reminder of the end game. In fact, if you look at the book of Revelation, jump all the way to the end of your Bibles, Revelation eleven fifteen. then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. I don't know if you've ever been, um, sometimes it shows up at Thanksgiving or Christmas time where different churches or different um, 
uh, musical groups will put on Handel's Messiah, right? And you know that when that takes place, there is one place in there where you don't have to tell everybody to stand. They know to stand, just like at a wedding. The, the mother of the bride stands and whoops, everybody pops up. Okay, that's how it is at Handel's Messiah. And depending on where you are with the cla- on the classical music realm, you either really love it and you're all ready to jump up, or that's when you wake up and stand up, okay? Okay, but wherever you are in that process, okay, everybody stands. And if you've ever done that, you know that you're sitting there thinking, how many times are they going to sing this? I, how, many, how many times can you actually say hallelujah in the hallelujah chorus, right? And they keep going on forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And I'm going to tell you, that is nothing compared to what it's going to be like, okay? Christ is so worthy of worship that when you and I actually see him, we will want to worship him forever and ever and ever and ever. Every other human kingdom will pale in comparison. This is the end game. He shall reign forever and ever and ever. Now, I got it. We're not in the end game yet. We're in the chess pieces moving on the board, and pawns are getting ripped off, and knights are going, getting slaughtered, and all that stuff's happening now, right? But you and I got to say, hey, that's not the end game. And the end game is Christ will reign forever and ever. Okay. That's your first reason that we gain hope in prophecy. Here's the second one. Know that humanity will temporarily suffer. Okay. Know that humanity will temporarily suffer. Okay, great question. How many of you have ever been to the doctor and the doctor has said, <clears throat> okay, um, this is going to make you feel a little uncomfortable. Have you ever heard that word? Okay. Or the nurse says something like, it's just going to be a pinch. Okay. It's just going to be a pinch. And I'm always saying, like, like, you're telling me it's coming, right? Like, and it didn't feel like a pinch. It felt like a saber sword, like, driven into my arm, okay? Like, what's going on here? The picture is that it helps us to know that something is coming, right? Um, even if the doctor says it's uncomfortable and it's really painful, at least you knew it was coming, right? This is the image here that we see in Daniel chapter 7, Humanity, as a whole, will suffer, albeit temporarily. In fact, just let me kind of walk you through that, okay? The coming empire is destructive. Um, We see destruction now in our daily news feeds. It is not nearly as destructive as one day it will be. Um, Revelation speaks of a third of the world, of whole sections of the world on fire, of whole sections of the world being destroyed, of, of, of death rolling in to masses of people, okay? The coming empire is destructive. And we see that even in the image. Remember, it's, it's, it's metaphorical. It's a picture. Notice that it says of this particular, um, the, the angel interprets this dream, this vision, and he says, thus he said, as for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom of the earth, which shall be different from all the other kingdoms. In other words, there's something different here than took place in Babylon, Media, Persia, and Greece. And here it comes. It shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it to pieces. There's cruelty here. There's harshness here. There's devastation here. I've heard... Um, First world testimony, first hand testimonies of people who have been in war torn places, um, both Americans um, who I'm thinking of an individual that I met some time ago who's no longer here, but he went out brave and courageous, 
came back broken. Okay. I've heard the testimonies and stories of others in Bosnia who wept at the loss of their son when they saw devastation and destruction when the Serbians took 7,000, all the men and boys from one village out into a valley and just executed them. Or in the bridge of Isigard, where they literally took families as they walked up on the bridge, slit their throats, and threw them in the river. There, when we look at war, we get a small taste of the devastation that is to come. Praise God, it's only temporary. The coming empire is destructive. And in that, we discover from the image that we find in Daniel chapter 7 that the leaders attempt to unite for power. They do. The leaders attempt to unite for power. In fact, we, we find that here. Notice in the text that there's ten horns that are coming up out of the beast. As for the ten horns out of this kingdom, ten kings shall arise. In other words, there is an attempt to say, listen, let's have a balance of power. Let's get various kings. It's not hard to see that, wow, even in the last um, 14, 7 to 14 days, nations that used to say, we don't work with these other nations, suddenly just snap to it, don't they? They all get along really quick. When they begin to sense that their people are in danger, they all of a sudden find ways to agree and do things they said they'd never do before. It shouldn't be hard for us to understand that, um, that when it comes to these kingdoms, that these kingdoms get along real quick, really fast, and they try to balance one another. Here's the thing about power, okay? Humans often attempt to control others when they can't even control their own desires, okay? That's it, simple as I can say it. Humans often attempt to control other people groups, and the truth of the matter is most of us would have to admit we can't even control our own desires very well. Let me, let me, let me show you that real quickly. Okay? Um, how many of you have had a thought, just a thought, kind of ran into your head? Some of you have been dwelling on it for a little bit. Since I started speaking, that has nothing at all to do with what I was saying. Can I see your hands? Okay, wake up, wake up. Everybody in here has had a thought that had nothing at all to do with what I've been saying since I started talking, okay? The point is, these desires kind of creep in and we start to dwell upon them. We start to meditate upon them. Before we know, we fall to them. We can't even control without this Holy Spirit's power our own desires, let alone try to control a huge section of humanity. In Daniel chapter 7, verse 24, we find that as for the ten horns out of the kingdom, ten kings shall arise. There is a push for power and control, and they rise up, but that's not the end of it. One leader will crush the others. Okay? One leader will crush the others. Now, I'm going to unpack him for you just in a minute, but just note how this happens in the text. One leader will crush the other. Okay? The end of verse 24, and another shall arise after them, and he shall be different from the former ones, and shall put down three kings. In other words, he crushes three kings, and the other seven horns that are represented here on the beast, the other seven kings say, whoa, 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 we don't want that to happen to us, and so they just get in line, okay? This is the image, okay? That when you think through it, again, you understand the coming empire is destructive, the leaders attempt to unite for power, and one leader will crush the others. Right? Now, 
Let's just take a look at uh, what that one liter is marked by. Okay, so here we go. I'm going to give you five things right out of the text. Um, he's marked by great power. The text says that he overcomes the nations. He crushes three kings and the others get in line. He is marked by great power. Not just the power, what we see now, the power of one nation, but the power of multiple nations. In fact, the power of those all over the world. I remember um, years ago hearing um, one of our guys who works over at Friends of Israel, and he said to me, Phil, you do understand that our world is so rapidly accelerating that it's not going to be difficult at all for one person to be in power. I said, well, how's that going to happen? He said, listen, as all financial issues move over to one currency, it's going to have to be digitized in some way. And so what you're going to know is what's going to happen. Somebody's got to control it. And the person that controls it has access to controlling the whole world because he controls what happens to your funds. We see that now, right? We attempt over here on this side of the planet to control a dictator on the other side of the planet just by locking up his funds. The same thing is going to happen here. This individual has great power, and he brings everybody else into line. The text says also, or reveals in the picture, that he has great intelligence. He sees things. Remember, it spoke of, uh, it spoke of back in Daniel chapter 7, verse 8. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up um, before which three of the first horns was plucked up by the roots, and behold, in this horn, this major horn, were eyes like the eyes of a man and mouth speaking great things. Okay? Now, an artist captured it this way, right? And, and, and I don't want you to see it comical. I want you to see it as how different this horn would look from every other horn on the beast. The other horns would look like they didn't have a personality, that they were just, that they were just there to do destruction. But this horn would see things. He'd be able to understand with intelligence. He'd be able to figure out if he did this, how other nations would respond. That's what's going to happen. And not only that, the text said that he had a mouth, and with that mouth, he boasted great things. He was speaking great things. He had great power, great intelligence, great arrogance. He had all of these things. Great power, great intelligence, great arrogance. This is the one leader that grows up out of that kingdom someday. And then note this, that he also, um, there is, notice how Revelation 13 refers to him. And the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. By the way, do the math. Divide 42 months by 12. See how many years that is. It comes up to three and a half years. That's the same date that's used back here in Daniel. That's important, right? It opens its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. So in other words, there is great arrogance here. He's speaking great things. And not only that, but there is also great rebellion. He will defy the Most High. I love the way the New Living Translation renders that. He isn't only speaking against the Most High, he's defying the Most High. He is, remember, Most High is God. The, the, the Antichrist, literally, the one leader, is shaking his fist saying, I dare you, God, to do something. Okay. There's great rebellion. And then note this, because again, the suffering is there, it's temporary. There's great persecution. The text says, he shall speak words against the Most High, verse 25, Daniel chapter 7, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and shall think to change the times and the law. He'll attempt to change times and laws, not unlike what happened under the 
French Revolution, you may be familiar with that, that the French, when the French Revolution happened, they actually said, hey, let's rewrite the calendar. Let's not start it at the, at the time of Christ. Let's start it at our revolution. And so they tried to make up a new calendar around the 1700s or something like that. It didn't work, right? But it doesn't mean he doesn't try. Okay. He changes things. He changes laws. And all that opportunity shall be given into his hands. Here it comes. Time, times, and half a time. Time, one, times, that would be two. And half a time, that would be a half. Three and a half years, just like 42 months over in Revelation, appears to be the midpoint of the tribulation. Now, note the text again. He shall speak words against the Most High, utter rebellion, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High. Um, this wearing out has to do with the fact that he just keeps um, articulating over and over again that there is no opportunity for religion and he wears them out. Wow. Now note what the text goes on to say, Revelation 13. Also it was allowed, that is the Antichrist, to make war on the saints and to conquer them and authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation and all who dwell on earth will worship it, everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. Here is a call. Look at this verse 10. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. So you and I look at all of that suffering and we say, okay, it allows us to persevere and endure in the present suffering that we know because this suffering is only temporary. Remember, I mentioned to you, Jerome said of this individual, he is one of the human race in whom Satan will wholly take up his residence in bodily form. He's controlled by Satan. One last thing. Here we go. Okay. You say, okay, Phil, that's pretty frightening. That's pretty scary stuff. I totally agree. It is. You say, well, I'm hoping I won't be here then. Okay. I understand that, that that's how we interpret 2 Thessalonians and the rapture of the church occurring and God taking us up into the clouds. I understand that. Not all by that. Here's what I want you to see. Not all interpret it that way, but here's what I want you to understand. Um, whatever your position on that, the thing you have to remember is that the kingdoms of men do not endure, but the kingdom of God will endure forever. That's the big picture. That's the end game. One final one, be assured that God will not lose control. Be assured that God will not lose control. I love the fact that in all of this scary stuff in Daniel chapter 7, we read things like Daniel seven fourteen, and to him was given dominion and glory and kingdom to all the peoples and nations and languages should serve him. That is Christ, right? His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. And then it goes on to talk about how scary this stuff is. But guess what? The kingdom of God still endures. Or how about the end? Uh, Daniel chapter 7 verse 27. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the most high. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominion shall serve and obey him, that is, the Christ. Be assured that God will not lose control. And I remember two things in that that are just kind of wonderful principles for us to, to concentrate on. God is working all things for your good. If you are a believer in Christ, if you, are, if you during the time of whatever happens, 
um, in, in the tribulation period of time, if, you're one, if you would be, having come to faith in Christ if, during that time, if you would have been a saint in that period of time, here's what I want you to know. God is working all things for your good. Temporary suffering, yes, okay. But all things for your good, absolutely. And here is why, okay. Because he alone is totally sacrificial towards his children. He alone is totally sacrificial towards his children. That is why Romans 5 says, but God commends his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God says, listen, my son is the most precious thing to me. The second member of the Trinity is the most important thing, God would say, to me, and I am willing to sacrifice what is so important for me, for you. Wow. God the Father is sacrificial towards his children. If you're a parent, you know that sometimes you're sacrificial towards your children, and sometimes you're not. Sometimes you say, hey, listen, give me back the remote. It's my turn to watch something, okay? Sometimes we're not sacrificial. What I want you to understand is that God alone is. He works all things for your good. And there's one final thought there as well. He works all things for his glory. He alone is worthy of praise. God alone is worthy of praise. And this is why we know that God will not lose control. Because you and I are not being tossed like ships on the sea. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. God is saying, listen, whatever happens tomorrow, I am still in control, right? And I'm working it out for your good. And the other reason he's working it out in that way is so that he ultimately will receive the glory. We do not know how. We do not know in, in what way. We just know that in the end game, God gets the glory. And here it is, again, in the book of Daniel and the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. Now notice how Revelation unpacks that same thing. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages serve him. The one shift um, in, a, in Daniel chapter 7, verse 14. There's the idea of glory again. The one sh shift that you want to see is that it includes the word glory. God ultimately will receive glory for himself as a result of him managing the kingdom. I want to take you back and show you. Well, let me show you this real quickly. I love this. The ESV study Bible says, the earth will not always be tyrannized by Satan and destroyed by his followers. The first heaven and earth, stained by the curse through human sin, will be replaced by a new or fully renewed heaven and earth in which Christ's saints will reign in righteousness. So that day is coming. Right? But I want to take you back and show you one other thing. When we realize that God will not lose control, I want you to see that he didn't even lose control of you and me in all of our rebellion even though we shook our fist to God, even though we have said from time to time, I'm not going to do that, okay? God sent His Son, ultimately sacrificing in such a way that we heard the call of God and trusted in the Savior, Jesus. He works all things for your good. We trust you've been encouraged by today's lesson. For resources to help you move forward in Christ, we invite you to check out our website, aboutfbc.org or our Facebook page, Fellowship Bible, Mullica Hill.